0: Everybody knows who Netflix is. They have a concept called Chaos Monkey, where they go through and they purposely try to break their environment on a regular basis. That is the same kind of mindset you have to have in this type of role to say, at any point in time, one of these millions of things could cause a problem and take one or multiple or every one of your customers down. And you have to be five steps ahead of that to make sure that doesn't happen.
1: Real quick note, my family and I just got back from an incredible cruise with Uncruise. Now, we'd experienced what cruising was like on a big ship with thousands of people. and Frankly, it just wasn't for us. But this one was completely different. It was a small boat of less than 100. We had an amazing time where we saw whales and other wildlife, inspiring nature, hiking, kayaking, and bushwhacking, which is hiking without the trails, and we received incredibly personalized service, guides who get you off the beaten path and gorgeous sunsets. Everything was so easy and with no lines. They provided incredible meals, including sustainable seafood, not to mention a list of impressive cocktails. My wife, daughter, and I loved it. When we returned, I asked Uncruise to become a show sponsor, and I was excited when they agreed. Right now, they're offering special deals on cruises in Baja, Mexico and Alaska that includes the incredible luxury, service, and adventure that we experience. To learn more, go to benleadscom slash cruise. That's benleeds.com cruise for the latest deals.
0: Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben.
1: Hey, Lead the Team, welcome back to another great episode today. I have for you, Mark Angle, who is the Chief Cloud Operations Officer over at OneStream Software. Now, if we're not familiar with OneStream, they provide an intelligent finance platform built to enable confident decision-making and maximize business impact. They unleash organizational value by unifying data management, financial close and consolidation, planning, reporting, analytics, and machine learning with over 1,100 customers, 230 implementation partners, and over 1,200 employees. Their primary mission is to deliver 100% customer service. Now back to Mark before joining OneStream. He held several, he held several leadership positions encompassing data center operations, service, desk management, enterprise architecture, and various other domains, leveraging his expertise. OneStream has gained the capability to seamlessly scale its delivery in alignment with the company's continuous growth. Mark, welcome to lead the team. Thank you for having me, Ben. Now, for our listeners and for me, let's get dive into this. What is A Chief Clouds Operation Officer.
0: Well, it's an interesting title, really. So what I do at OneStream is sort of work in tandem with our CTO, and I control or manage all of the operations of our customers. So hosting, essentially, at its core. But there's a lot more that goes into that than just the word hosting as you can imagine, and and working hand-in-hand with the development and product teams to make sure that our releases come out without flaws um, and in a timely fashion.
1: So from your perspective, do you believe this type of executive officer role is is an emerging role that companies are going to be creating for their organizations in the future?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those roles that probably makes the most sense in a software organization like ours, where you have enough of a focus on your product going out to your customers as software, that someone needs to focus full-time on that hosting aspect. We've gotten to a point in history now where it doesn't make sense to stand up your own data centers all over the world in most cases. So most companies now are going with an AWS or an Azure or GCP or other to host their software. So you need someone at that level that's going to focus on that. Sometimes that falls within the office of the CTO. Sometimes it's another role in the C-suite. And in this case, we decided to split it
1: out. Yeah, the, the cloud is here to stay. Every organization's utilizing it. But I suspect you have an executive level person involved you're thinking about speed, you're thinking about security, you're thinking about all aspects of it, because it's, I think a lot of people don't realize that they're using the cloud, right? I mean, how many times a day in every way, right? In everything we do, and it seems ubiquitous, like we don't really recognize what's happening, but it's a big, it's a big change for a lot of organizations, right?
0: It really is. And I think you hit it right on the head, which is performance and security are probably, and availability are the largest concerns that we have within my department. Making sure that our customers just are able to use it without having to worry about it is the most important thing. Because of the nature of what our software does, uh, data analytics for the office of the CFO, there is a lot of data, uh, not just that we bring in from other systems, but that we multiply that data uh, exponentially in order to do analytics on it real time, which can be a real challenge. In mm-hmm. making sure that the performance is where the customer wants it to be.
1: Yeah, excellent. I just, you said, you know, th- this role, the chief cloud's operation officer, is big for software companies. I suspect there needs to be a senior level in a lot of organizations that aren't even necessarily software-focused because if th- they're not keeping an eye on this and prioritizing it, you know, they're missing out on some opportunities. Now, you say that you ultimately reshaped operations over uh, at one stream. I was curious from your standpoint, what tips do you have for leaders who are in in the same situation where they come in and need to do some reshaping? And that reshaping sounds a lot like transformation. Just maybe a nicer, gentler word than Transformation.
0: Yeah, transformation is such a a consulting word, probably, that I've heard over my career. Mm -hmm. It's thrown around in boardrooms as a a buzzword. I think when you come into an organization, especially like I did with OneStream, where it was a traditional on-premise software company, we were around at the beginning of the advent of the quote-unquote cloud, right? You have to sort of survey the landscape and decide what is going to be best for the future of the company look around not only at your company and the way that your architecture of your software is built but what are other companies doing where is the future going where are the hoster, the, the global hosting providers going and make the best decision there are some companies that did actually make the decision like a, like a Facebook to do a lot of their own hosting and do some custom computing in the back end that doesn't really didn't really make sense for us and it I don't think it makes sense for most companies that are in our position. But for someone to come in, you really have to take a look at what you've got, what you have the capability to do, and take steps, right? You can't beat the elephant all in one bite, right, the old adage. But you have to take steps to get where you want to be. And that's what we've done, right? We've we've taken what was a monolith software when I came in, uh, when it was originally written, and started to approach more of a cloud-native software. Uh, and that takes time and you can't do that overnight. If you do try to do it overnight, you're probably going to break something and that's not going to make people happy. So we take steps to get where we want to be. And that's, we're in the middle of that right now.
1: Yeah. And I don't want to underplay that. Y'all, they're a software company. So you're the very nuts and bolts and the revenue of your business is at stake, right? Through this transition. <laughs> like You're taking it from here to there. This is how the whole darn software for, a 1200 person company is operating and if you break something i don't want to give you nightmares you probably already had plenty mark but i mean you break something you shut the company down it's not like this is just a little pastime hobby your company's doing right you're shifting that and um one of my curiosities is you got a company you come in and you're like hey we're you know we're we're going to cloud and in fact i have an executive level position that's based on this What are some of the keys or the foundational keys to success that you're really focused in on?
0: Yeah, So I don't want to make this seem like this is a one-time transition where we're, we're modernizing and that's going to be it. We're done. This is a, a constant cycle that you have to go through as a software company. You're always trying to figure out what the latest thing is and make sure that you are a step ahead of it. But we are, Doing our best to make sure that we're addressing all of that and keeping an eye on the future as best as possible. And you're right, it does. I wouldn't say that it gives me nightmares, but it, it does keep me on my toes to make sure that the customers are none the wiser of all of the complication that it takes to make sure that when they get a sign on screen and when they want their numbers, they go through their workflow, that it works. And they don't have to worry about that. They don't have to worry about their data leaking out onto the internet, right? They don't have to worry about how long it's going to take to bring back that screen with the data that they want.
1: Really, really good stuff. And some good keys in there to say, hey, any, it, may, it makes me kind of laugh, people are like, well, yeah, we got through that that business change, that disruption, and we think we're kind of done. And part of, I think, sort of underlying what you're saying is, no, 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 like change is the only constant. <laughs> and how you as a leader and your team, how you navigate that. And also, I think it's important from an executive level and leader level to make sure that's the mindset, not like, like you're wiping like your brow sweat saying, like I'm glad we're done with change because that was so hard. <laughs> right? I know you're saying, hey, this is part of the role here. And the better we get at this kind of thing, uh, the more successful we we'll
0: yeah, there is a concept out there obviously everybody knows who Netflix is. They have a concept called Chaos Monkey, where they go through and they purposely try to break their environment on a regular basis. That is the same kind of mindset you have to have in this type of role to say, at any point in time, one of these millions of things could cause a problem and take one or multiple or every one of your customers down. And you have to be five steps ahead of that to make sure that doesn't happen. Hmm. That does keep me up at night sometimes, probably. But we do a great job to stay out of that.
1: So, so what do those meetings look like when you're going to bring your own chaos monkey version to your to your meeting?
0: It's uh, we do a lot of tabletop planning. We do a lot of listening to our customers mm-hmm. to say, hey, what are your concerns? What new security regulation what new compliance regulation or control do you think that we should be looking at or what do you need from us Mm -hmm. and a lot of that comes from emerging markets right going into a country that we've maybe not sold in before or a country that has passed some new regulation that we need to make sure that we're aware of or even here in the united states we work a lot with the uh, the us government and they continue to revise their control sets and what do we have mm-hmm. to do to make sure that we're in compliance with those controls it's it's what are those hard things that we have to be aware of but it's also internally okay let's have a meeting to say if something were to happen in this data center region that we use what would we do right if we were to lose one of our key executives what would we do what's the succession mm-hmm. planning there Right, if all of a sudden we had a pandemic, right, that we had to go never, through, what, yeah, what would do you do?
1: Happen, a global pandemic. I mean, that's it was, that's it, cool was it was
0: funny because we had actually gone through a tabletop exercise that wasn't exactly like a pandemic, but it was very similar. Where all of a sudden you, oh, like you, you're not you you don't have your normal office you suddenly can't get to the desk that you have been working at what do you do what do you do when that one key employee can't make it in right so we had practiced a lot of those things and we continue to try to do that and we find that important one of the the things that is a background for me is disaster recovery which plays mm-hmm. directly into what my role is now and making sure that all the potential disasters that could happen, we try to consider. You can't, we measure the world in nines. You can't measure the world in 100% in IT. You just can't. So we try to get as close to 100% as possible and get as many nines as possible, but that's how you have to look at it.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's where the peace of mind can come in is if like, hey, we've thought through all these plans and what we were all these situations that we can think of. And that our customers help us think of, and we've come up with our actions that we would take. And then maybe you can rest your head a little bit more at night knowing, hey, probably one of those would apply to a global pandemic, even if if we had one. You know, it's so funny. We were doing some investing. We we, we did a, a specific investment right before the pandemic. It's like fall of 2019. And I thought we had gone through that exercise. But we did not plan for a global pandemic, which was significant, of course. But a couple of the ones that we had thought through did apply or help us think a little bit ahead for that, even if it wasn't a verbatim pandemic response. And so I think that's one of the key takeaways for leaders. You know, I think most teams don't spend a lot of time thinking about what could happen because they're like, Ben, that's just endless. But the benefit can be just kind of like in your, your, your situation where you don't you don't exactly think through the or guess the exact thing that's going to happen you can pull from that playbook and have success yeah that's the thing is that even as
0: much as you prepare you're never going to probably hit it 100 on the head and know exactly what would have happened but the more that you prepare the more that venn diagram starts to overlap and you possibly will have things that you've prepared in various different scenarios be ready for something that does happen in the real world, right? Like you said, you didn't have everything, but some of the things that you had prepared for actually did happen. So you at least had those. And the more that you prepare, the more likely it is that you hit upon those things.
1: So staying in a a sort of aligned with the idea of things happen that we can't predict, what is it like having an executive role that didn't exist when you were growing up?
0: It's interesting. (laughs) It is interesting. It's funny. I I did not plan to be in this career, to be honest with you.
1: Mm, I, yeah.
0: <laughs> I planned on being a singer. And then I realized when I got old enough, that was probably not a great career aspiration.
1: <laughs> or it could be a very and, good career aspiration. Well, so what kind of singer?
0: Oh, I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to be a, a rock star. Are you kidding?
1: Like, okay, um, so... What, what, uh, who were the rock singers that you looked up to at the top?
0: Oh, well, I grew up in the eighties, so it was a lot of hair bands, okay. probably idols that you didn't want a, uh, a teen preteen looking up to. I was just looking back now. Don't I don't worry, think right, you would give us your, some bands. Give us some 80s. Bands. Uh, some Motley Crue, Guns oh, yeah. N' Roses, you yes. know, probably not the best role models in the world. Right.
1: What? They're such outstanding individuals. Axl Rose? I mean, <laughs> everyone wants their child to grow up to be Axl Rose.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I still liked uh, Kenny Rogers and, uh, you know, the Everly Brothers. I was all over the map. I still am. But I had this idea that I would I would be able to be up on stage. And it's funny because that brought me into my first job, believe it or not. My first job in IT was at a, the, it was the Palace of Auburn Hills. It was where the Detroit... Pistons played. Wow. They also happened to host concerts. It was an arena, right? Which was my way into. I thought I could get in as a as a roadie or something close to a stage setup. Turns out that was a bad idea too. I'm glad I didn't do that. I'm um, sure it's great for some people, but it wasn't right for me. But they happened to be hiring for tech support, and I ended up in that path instead. And I sort of i i went into technology with an open mind and I said look let's learn every possible thing that's out there that I come into contact with and that has really served me well throughout my career my goodness man
1: from Molly crew and GNR to <laughs> conquering the world of cloud who knew but you but you mentioned Venn diagram early and earlier and there's your event diagram, right? It's like, hey, interest in music, performance, stage, and technology. You identify that early on as an interest, and it sort of springboarded you into uh You're your kind of your own rock star, leading the band now. You guys don't sing, maybe well, maybe you do sing in your company. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> Fortunately, no.
0: But you're right. It is when you probably in in an individual contributor role and then into first level and middle management, even upper management, it's probably not as much a performance. But when you get into an executive level role, there is a lot of performance that can go into it or should go into it probably. And when I'm not talking, I'm I'm not saying that you need to fake it, right? It's not a fake performance. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is, there is a presence that needs to be had in in the boardroom or in a meeting or on a meeting like this, right? On a Zoom call, anything that you're doing to present yourself as a leader, whether it be a leader of your employees or a leader of your peers, or even a leader to your supervisors or the board, you have to present yourself in a certain way. And that means dressing the part, that means grooming yourself in a certain way. That means speaking in a certain way. All of these things go into presenting yourself and being understood in the executive role that you want to be, right? And sometimes that can actually extend, believe it or not, to being on stage. We have several events every year where we have you know, hundreds and hundreds or thousands of people in the audience where you may need to be on stage and and give a presentation. And that performance all of a sudden really starts to matter.
1: Are you looking to increase sales, grow your brand and share your leadership message? Then check out our business podcast program. Each week, more people listen to podcasts that have Netflix accounts and one third of the US population listens to podcasts regularly. So your customers and team are already listening to podcasts. It should be yours. Discover our five step profitable podcast framework and what results you can expect for your company by setting up a 20-minute call with my team at benleads.com slash schedule. That's benleads.com slash schedule. So break that down then from a performance standpoint. What parts, like, like when you're doing a big presentation, what parts overlap maybe in terms of how you prepare, how you're thinking about the day, what's your mindset going on?
0: Yeah, one of the things you have to be very careful of, and I'm sure you understand this, Ben, is not to psych yourself out in front of or before a crowd of a large number of people. Don't think about how many people are going to be viewing it or how many people are going to be in front of you. You're just thinking about doing the thing that you've trained for. A lot of professional athletes do the same thing over and over and over and over and over Mm -hmm. again until... It's muscle memory. It's not thinking about it. It just happens. So instead of being somebody who's writing down on note cards and worried about reading the right thing when they get on stage or they get into the meeting, you need to get to the point where you have either rehearsed it so much or performed it so much on a day to day basis that when you get into that critical moment, when you get up on stage, it is just muscle memory. Mm -hmm. It is just second nature for you to be able to present in the way that people need to hear you.
1: Good reminder for everybody, but especially executives who love to wing it. And there's nothing wrong with winging it, but if you're going up against, or you're, you know, you're not up against, maybe you're up against competition in in, in a deal, but someone that, that has practiced even once there's going to be a better, usually a better performance. And I think what it, sometimes what I hear from executives is like, then I don't want to come across as mechanical or inauthentic and all this other stuff. What what do you say to those leaders that um, have that concern? I
0: think that the more that you have not necessarily done full run-throughs, but the more that you have practiced the things that you want to be able to bring across in your presentation, the more that you can actually wing it and bring personality into it. And you are naturally going to bring across the points that you want because you've practiced them, right? You don't sound mechanical by bringing inflection to your voice, by having a personality, by connecting to the people who are into the room and not just speaking into the microphone or, you know, reading your notes uh, or reading exactly what you think you need to say mm-hmm. you have to react to also what is going on in the meeting or in the room if you don't react then people are going to see you as inauthentic.
1: okay great point there for leaders when something goes wrong or something said or even the previous presentation acknowledge that that happened you know or if someone, I mean, it always happens when you have a bunch of people on a Teams or Zoom call, someone's gonna not going to unmute themselves. Someone's not going to be unmuted. And it's okay to not just ignore it, but have a chuckle. or but is, That's a great way. That's a very natural way to bring more authenticity to the moment and let people know that you're human.
0: More than that, it, I think it lets people know that you're human, but it also helps them to like you right? If they can relate to you and you said, okay, John, uh, we just heard you say that. Could you put yourself on mute? Right? Everybody has a little chuckle over it Mm -hmm. and they get past it and they go, Oh, this person's not so bad. Right? I think that really helps you to be more of a genuine human being and people to relate to you. You still have to be strong. You still have to be that leader that says, Hey, when the, the business, Need something, and I ask you to do something, you need to do it. But quite frankly, when somebody likes you, they're more apt to do that. When you you say that this is real time, right? This is go time, as opposed to just barking orders at people all the time.
1: Turn your phone off mute. We know who you are. <laughs> no, I, when, when I started uh, doing more presentations and training, I kind of had my spiel and my set that I would do. But I, I took improv here in Charleston. There, there's a great improv theater. And for those of you who aren't familiar with it, essentially you jump on stage with someone and they start making emotion or saying something. It could be anything. And you have to listen and you have to build on what they do. And the number one rule of improv that a lot of people know is you always have to say yes and. And if you don't agree and join, the whole thing just falls apart. Or if you have a pre-scripted script that you're going to apply when you jump on stage, it almost always falls flat. It's that, it's that courage to jump in and knowing that you've prepared, but jumping in and being open to the moment and listening. And and that definitely helped me after it terrified me. I mean, I remember, I can remember throwing up in the bathroom before my first improv because I was on there with a, with a lot of, uh, I'll say several young adults and college kids and they would always start the scene. And I'm like, I don't want to join that scene. That's going to be a bad place to get, <laughs> I always had to it get could, on more with it.
0: It can be nerve wracking, right? Yeah, It's anything where you're, you're put outside of your comfort zone like that can really be nerve wracking. Yeah, sure. Well,
1: such a good topic. All right. So let's, let's put a cherry on top of this interview, uh, Mark, what's your parting thought for our listeners today?
0: Oh, I think the most important thing is something that I've hit on and I did in my career already, which is to be open-minded, right? Mm. If you want to succeed in your career, you cannot be rigid. You cannot, you have to be focused on what you want, but you have to sort of figure out where the road is going to take you. Mm. You can't necessarily build the road yourself. Sometimes you can get away with it and we're very rare situations, but it helps a lot if you can say yes and, just like you just said, right? Mm-hmm. Take that that approach, that improv approach and say, you know what? I was not planning on leading the help desk, but sure, I will take on that leadership role. And maybe that will get me to my next leadership role where I really want it to be. And in the process, learn from it. Learn from every experience that you have, even the bad ones. A lot of times the bad ones are the most informative. You learn from bad managers. You learn from really bad experiences. You learn from really bad failures. And you learn to get better. And hopefully, you do it better the next time. The more that you can take that information in, synthesize it, and figure out how to not make that same mistake or not make the mistake somebody else made, the better you're going to be as an individual.
1: What a great one to wind up on. Before we get off, do you want to share one of your most memorable bad ones, bad experiences, bad bad moments that you had to learn (laughs) from? Or I should say got to learn from?
0: Well, I mean, I've had in this many years in technology, you can't get through your career without a lot of failures, quite frankly. And that could be technical failures. It can be management failures. I had one specifically where The company took a a left turn on me that I wasn't expecting. They decided to consolidate all of their technology for all of their subsidiaries in North America into one Mm -hmm. company. And the plan of climbing the ladder that I thought I had was taken away from me. And Mm -hmm. I had to pivot and decide if I was going to say no to what was in front of me or if I was going to say yes and. And as a family, we had to decide that we were going to say yes and. And I moved my young family to Georgia from Michigan to continue to do what I thought was going to give me the best chance at my career ladder. And it turns out it did. It did. I had a lot of opportunity as a result of that to continue to learn, to continue to grow. And it was probably in that moment the best thing that I could have done.
1: What a great example of staying open-minded about it. And that's no small task, uprooting your family. And I grew up in the Southeast, and I've and I've moved around, but I'm trying to imagine if I'd have been uprooted from Alabama or Georgia where I've lived or South Carolina and moved to Michigan, it would have been a culture shock probably for everybody involved.
0: <laughs> it was a bit of a culture yeah. shock, but it was a good culture shock. Probably grew I a little think bit. that the more that I have traveled around the globe – In my later years, the more that you realize we're all just people, Hmm. we all do the same things in different places, different ways, but the more you learn about how others do things in different ways, the better person you're going to be, quite frankly.
1: Great one to wind up on, Mark. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you very much, Ben, for having me. Would you or your CEO be a good fit for this podcast? If you know a uniquely talented leader who has a story to share and a message to deliver, then we'd love to host them on the show. Go to binleads.com apply to fill out a quick form where you can let us know a little bit about yourself and my team will take a look to see if we're a good fit.